Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. We're welcome to the first time. Thoughtful conversation about the news of the day. We address the existential threats to America. China or Biden? I don't know which is worse. Anyway, we'll get to that. Today we'll catch up with the great Byron York, columnist at the Washington Examiner, Fox News contributor. We'll talk about Adam Schiff, the Durham probe, and where the Democrats are. All right, let's do a few emails, Claude. All right. So, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to email the show, you can email BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Love getting emails. We try to respond to them on the show, and I write back. Uh, let's see. So our buddy Don uh, emails in. Claude and Bill, uh, the conservative news media is uh, media talking point is that Biden and his administration is tone deaf regarding the message sent by voters last Tuesday nationwide. Uh, they are not tone deaf. They heard loud and clear, and because of that, they know their time in power is very short. They will ram their agenda through now while they still have power. That's somebody done. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if they didn't hear it or if they're just sticking to their um, idea that the reason that they did miserably in in last week almost lost new jersey good lord who knew that i didn't had no clue i didn't i don't remember anybody saying this was going to be mm-hmm. close tells you about punditry right right okay don't turn off the podcast now though <laughs> no you want to continue to watch and uh, listen and by the way uh you know you can listen to scholars and sense your podcast uh-huh. with victor davis hansen and conrad black anywhere you get your podcast just search scholars and sense and you guys went kind of deep into your own analysis of that sense s-e-n-s-e right. scholars and sense so uh, either that or they are so stuck on their view that the American people are waiting for all these things in this huge $2 trillion or $3 trillion or $1.8 trillion package. Mm-hmm. I, I would remind everybody a lot of that money isn't spent yet. Even the money appropriated last year is not spent. Right. I talked to people in the schools. So we got, got a lot of money. We got money coming. I haven't seen it. But we got a lot coming. You know, just anyway. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're ideologues. And as a friend told me years ago, uh, ideology is a straitjacket. Mm-hmm. And if you are committed to it, you just see everything through that lens. Mm. Republicans didn't do well uh, on uh, last Tuesday. We just, you know, we de- weren't able to deliver our case. And we'll do better next time. So if they persist in this i think they're going to have a lot of trouble but we'll talk to we'll talk to byron about that at yeah. length. Uh, so we've got another email from our buddy george fowler um i wonder if there's any relation to ricky fowler manny's favorite golfer could be george if you are uh <laughs> respond to the email call immediately yeah let us know um anyway he says dear bill thank you so much for shining a light on the ongoing threats to taiwan that china is making i've thoroughly enjoyed hearing gordon chang and others keep us posted on the real story uh and that would be our buddy uh brian kennedy from um, yeah, yeah absolutely uh, uh, from uh, present danger China. Um, as a retired naval officer, thank you for your service, sir, and a career international banker living in Asia, I have firsthand experience with the rise and growing uh, belligerence of China. It strikes me that a potential way for Taiwan to defend itself is to launch a massive cyber attack on the PRC. Taiwan is home to the world's most advanced semiconductor company uh, and the talent uh, to go with it. Weaponizing this talent would have been an obvious move. In addition, my time in China has made me very skeptical of their quality control, I would think, uh, would make it relatively easy to penetrate computer systems, especially uh, local level or in companies. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, It's an interesting question. That's beyond my pay, pay grade. Uh, he, he maybe we can have an expert on. I think sure. Yeah, yeah. He had Mr. mentioned Fowler that. Mm-hmm. suggests that. Why don't we? If you could drop a note to um, Gordon, Chang, sure. He may have a thought on this himself, or mm-hmm. someone we should, can talk to. Go ahead. And I'm sure Brian Kennedy might too. Might as well. Uh-huh. Someone who's affiliated with. Why don't you write, uh, President uh, why don't you write to both yeah. of them? Yeah, absolutely. He says, um, "I'll go on to read." He says, "Taiwan should have the ability to cripple and massively mm-hmm. disrupt the Chinese economy, and more importantly, the daily lives of the Chinese people." This would be a game changer since up to now, Xi Jinping's uh, ruthless subjection of Tibet, Xinjiang, and Hong Kong have uh, absolutely no impact on the daily lives of the 1.3 billion Chinese people. On the other hand, if Taiwan hackers have the ability to the ability, excuse me, uh, to disrupt or shut down Chinese utilities, transportation, manufacturing, telecommunication, and financial services in relation for the uh, PRC hostilities, that makes the Chinese people feel the pain. How long will Miss Wong in uh, tolerate having her bank accounts frozen or emptied? 
or having to walk up 40 flights to her apartment because the elevators have been crippled or unable to ride the subway. My guess is not long. And he goes on for a little bit longer. He does ask us to have uh, an expert on who could talk about this. And I guess just not uh, Taiwan Chinese experts, but also cyber you know, attacks and, and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Very thoughtful email. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, he closes by saying and it means- doesn't matter if you're related to Ricky Fowler. It doesn't matter. But if you are. It matters to you. It matters to me. <laughs> and your son, Manny. <laughs> right. Okay, um, but in the meantime, he, he also says, in the meantime, keep on putting out one of the best podcasts. And happy Thanksgiving to you both. And, uh, yeah, Thanksgiving is coming up. So we'll have to do Mrs. Bennett's table rolls. I suppose we will. Right. The only problem with that is Mrs. Bennett listens to the podcast mm-hmm. and it reminds her. And then yeah, she enforces it. <laughs> and she had a few things that were a little different last year. Yeah. So I wonder if she's made any more adjustments. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see in an upcoming, <laughs> upcoming episode of the podcast. Uh, and this I said, one, given the state of politics, mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, don't make your point emphatic, you know, with a fork. Don't wave your fork, she said. Right, right. I think we ought to say don't, don't wave your knife. Yeah. Things have gotten really. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You notice just how intense and nasty. Mm-hmm. People are about this. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We have gotten letters, mail, calls from, quote, friends who mm-hmm. said, you know, we just can't associate with you anymore. Wow. Because you were, you know, you like Trump and, uh, you know, uh, I heard you object to some aspects of Trump, but basically you and Mrs. Bennett were supporters and we just can't live with that. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'm with you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and, that, and that won't change. Our friend Sally uh, uh, emailed in and she says, Dear Dr. Bennett, I've read your books and have listened to you on the radio, watched you on television, and now I'm enjoying your podcast. Thank you for being one of my favorite ever teachers who continues to enlighten and make me think. I was a public school teacher for 33 years. She says, one small little crumb uh, from today's interview with Brett Baer. So she, whenever she listened to it, she emailed in, uh, which, by the way, was especially interesting and informative. You both seem to indicate that Grant was the youngest to assume the presidency. I always thought that Teddy Roosevelt was the youngest to assume and Kennedy youngest elected. Perhaps I misheard. Uh, thank you again for being such a rock in my life. Sincerely, Sally O'Connell Pizanko. Sally, thank you very much. Um, you looked it up, and indeed, Kennedy was, what, 43, 42? Correct. So Kennedy, the youngest elected, and Roosevelt, the youngest to assume. the 42. Office. Correct. I think, I, but the fact is, we may not have made it clearly. I'm sure Brett Baer did. I may have messed it up. When he was elected at age 46, mm-hmm. that's Grant. Sure. He was the youngest president to that time. Correct. Right. He that he set a new record for you, you mm-hmm. young, 46. Of course, 46 then was a lot older mm-hmm. than it is now. And for a guy who went through that war, he was... Oh, yeah, absolutely. He looked 66. For sure. <laughs> right. But sure. Uh, good point, Sally, and I hope this clarifies it. Yeah, we don't want to put out misinformation. The teacher always teaching, right? That's right. God bless her. <laughs> she heard something like, wait a minute, I don't know. God bless her. <laughs> We'd love to hear more from you, Sally, about things you see going on in the schools. And yeah, stuff. absolutely. She could be a really good resource. So, there's Sally, so anytime much, email There's so much yeah. upheaval in the schools. Mm-hmm. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Hey, what's easier than opening a can of cranberry sauce? We're all thinking about that around mm-hmm. this time of year. Definitely. Getting free life insurance quotes with Policy Genius. Oh, I was thinking eating cranberry sauce is easier than opening it. But getting a policy with Policy Genius is also easier than opening Very it. Very easy. Mm-hmm. Certainly easier than getting a turkey. <laughs> Nowadays, you know, able to yeah, afford it, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, if you're looking for something to do while the family's running a turkey trot, we used to do turkey trots all the time, mm-hmm. you can be just as productive by comparing quotes from top life insurers with Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why do you want to compare? Well, you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. And eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week, thanks to an award-winning policy option that swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. 
This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes Advisor, higher than options from Ladder, Ethos, and Bestow. So how's it work? Getting started is easy. First, head to PolicyGenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need, and you can compare personalized quotes to find your best price. So, head to PolicyGenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Byron, wonderful columns. Uh, a lot of people felt that Durham, John Durham, uh, spe- spe- is he a special counsel? He is a special counsel. Okay. Wasn't doing anything. You know, it was a long time. We didn't hear much. Now a couple things have come up. Is John Durham doing something now? Oh, absolutely he is. Uh, you know, there's something going on, which is uh, I hear it a lot from people who follow me on Twitter I mean, they're just people, uh, supporters of former President Trump, who just are not going to be happy unless, you know, James Comey or Hillary Clinton are, are you know, perp-walked in an orange jumpsuit. Um, and that's not going to happen. But Durham is, I think, doing something really, really valuable, um, which is what we know of right now is he's looking at the uh, uh, the dossier and the FBI's um, use of the dossier and how it came about, and this uh, recent indictment of Igor Danchenko, who was um, uh, Christopher Steele's so-called primary sub-source for the dossier, has been extremely enlightening. And basically what it shows is that the dossier was, was really a Democratic Party dirty trick in the 2016 election. And, and I have to say, it's one of the most consequential dirty tricks Ever because they got the FBI in on it. And uh, as you know, on January 6th of 2017, when Trump was still uh, president-elect, the intelligence chiefs went to New York to brief him on Russian meddling with the election. And then James Comey briefed him on the so-called P-tape allegation in the dossier, which four days later on January 10th leaks to the uh, press. Leaks, yeah. And, yeah. and it's just... You know, it does enormous damage, enormous damage. Probably leads to the firing of Comey, by the way. I remind people uh, what Danchenko, what's his name, Danchenko? Danchenko, Danchenko yeah. Danchenko uh, supplied to the dossier, what the contents of that dossier were in brief. Yeah, well, Danchenko was um, a Russian, but he was living in Washington, working for the Brookings Institution. And by the way, as a sidelight, there really should be much more work done on the involvement of the Brookings Institution with this particular dirty trick. We do know Fiona Hill, uh, who many will remember from uh, oh, yeah. the uh, first impeachment of President Trump, uh, Fiona Hill was at the Brookings Institution, and we know she's testified that Strobe Talbot, who was at the time the president of the Brookings Institution, gave her a copy of the d- a dossier the day before BuzzFeed made it public. So he had it. It was bouncing around in uh, uh, Brookings. Uh, and we know that uh, Danchenko um, had it. He, as a matter of fact, he was the source for it. So when Christopher Steele said that, you know, he has these Russian sources who are telling him that, you know, Carter Page has made this deal with this head of this giant Russian energy company. This is basically gossip that Danchenko, who's in Washington, is passing on to Christopher Steele, who uncritically writes it up um, so that someday in the future, Rachel Maddow will uncritically believe it and it'll be talked about. And Contents so, that, that were in there to embarrass uh, Trump yeah. or worse. And of course, the, the the one that really got them excited, and, and I've read various accounts of this, the one that really got Christopher Steele excited was the, the so-called P-tape um, thing, which was, it was an allegation that in 2013, Trump goes to Moscow for the private citizen, obviously, for the Miss Universe pageant. He has just bought the Miss Universe pageant. And that uh, he's in this fancy hotel in Moscow, and that uh, he has prostitutes in the room who are performing uh, a kinky sex act on a bed that uh, allegedly former President Obama or President Obama had slept in when he was visiting Moscow. And that uh, while this kinky sex act is going on, Trump is watching it, uh, Russian intelligence cameras are recording it all. Okay, so that's the allegation. Never been any evidence to support it. Never, 
ever. And uh, but it, it really got them excited. They just they, wow. I mean, they thought it was great. It was compromise. Remember, you used to hear that word compromise all the time. Compromising uh, information. But this is collusion. Used to blackmail him. This isn't collusion. Huh? This isn't collusion. No, this this is um, this is kind of an, an explanation for collusion because you know it was always what do the Russians have on Trump? Why is he being so easy on Putin? You know, which which he wasn't. I mean, we all know or should know that Trump's uh, Russia policy was actually tougher than the pre- previous presidents. But there was always this idea that Russia had something on Trump, and what they had was this video of him watching prostitutes in this hotel room, which just – and later, when the FBI tracked it down, said, well, who, who told Christopher Steele this? And it was Danchenko. Danchenko uh, said, well, you know, this is just kind of gossip that people talk about in a bar. I, I never expected Christopher Steele to take this seriously. I mean, he believed it. Uh, he, he really did believe it. And he believed it so much – that it got to the FBI, which is the brilliance of the Democratic strategy, by the way, which is, you know, you, you can just you can go to reporters and say, look, I've got all this stuff. I've got a former British spy who knows this stuff. And the reporters will be skeptical. But if you go to them and say the FBI is investigating this stuff, well, then they take it much more seriously. Yeah. And they took it so seriously that on January 6, 2017, Trump is the president elect 14 days away from taking office. They go to New York. And uh, James Comey wants to have a one-on-one talk with Trump, just the two of them in the room. And he basically tells him, we know about you and those hookers in Moscow. That's a heck of an introduction for the head of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and an incoming president. And that's what was done. And it was all BS, all BS. And what we're learning. There was no tape, right? There was no. No, no. This didn't happen. And, you know, it's interesting for my book, Obsession, Available um, on Amazon. For my book, I talked to people who were in the room with Trump and who were then asked to leave the room so so that Trump and Comey could speak um, one-on-one and then who rejoined Trump immediately afterwards. Uh, You know, they said Trump was kind of amazed at this story. Uh, He wasn't really exploding in anger. He was just kind of amazed. And, And everybody thought... Everybody thought, you know, of all the stories about Trump, uh, Trump is a uh, legendary germaphobe. It's amazing he really fully got into electoral politics, doesn't like to shake hands a lot, uh, washes hands all the time. And he's supposed to be watching this golden showers operation in his um, hotel room. And nobody actually uh, – people who just are thinking about it say, oh, come on. I just don't think that's true. And then when, when it was combined with things about the dossier, which were clearly provably false, like the idea that uh, Michael Cohen met with Russians in Prague in 2016, August 2016, um, they thought, you know, this, is, this seems to be a bunch of baloney. And it's taken years, years uh, for an investigation to show that it really was. Now, what was Donchenko doing at Brookings? Because if you look at him, the first thing I thought was he was some kind of hired thug. <laughs> no, he was actually uh, working on um, Russia-related matters. Scholar? Uh, uh, yeah, okay. scholar. Supposedly. Uh, all, right, so, so, yeah. all right, so fast forward to his arrest and what's and the Republican uh, Democrats and, and what, what's, what's happening there. Well, one more thing we ought to talk about in the indictment is that um, the uh, the FBI discovered that some of Danchenko's information he got not from Russians, but from an American who is close to um, the Clintons, who exchanged gossip with Danchenko, which Danchenko then put in the dossier or then gave to Steele as if it were information from sources close to Trump. And it was about, remember, um, Paul Manafort was fired in the fall or late summer of 2016 during the campaign. And, of course, it was all in the papers. And <laughs> and this guy, Charles Dolan, who was a uh, longtime in the Clinton circle, uh, is telling Danchenko that, uh, you know, it's got to be related to Russia. And uh, Danchenko just, just passes it on. So now, I mean, you look at this kind of circular information flow here, whereas where the Clintons uh, commission this dossier and then Clinton-related figures 
feed the collector of the dossier information to be included in the dossier. And so it, that's really important to know that, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, exposure of say, uh, this say guy, it again. Charles Dolan, was really, really important. Say it again. What's oh, really, really important? Was, well, the dossier was commissioned and paid for by the Clinton campaign and the DNC. And the people who were hired to actually do the dossier collected information from, among others, Americans close to the Clinton. So an American close to the Clinton is feeding gossip about Trump to the dossier investigator hired by the Clintons to produce a product that purports to be intelligence about Trump and Russia. It was the dirty trick. It just was. It was. And and the, the presence of the FBI weaponized it and uh, the um, the collusion of the Democrats in Congress, specifically the Democrats in the House Intelligence Committee, um, gave this uh, an aura of respectability that it did not deserve. And then press hysteria came on top of that, and it was all a dirty trick. And Schiff was, uh, Adam Schiff, Congressman Schiff, was kind yeah. of the leading figure on this. In yeah, he was. Um, I just wrote about this now. Uh, I went back. There was a, a hearing, an intelligence hearing, on March the 20th, 2017. So Trump's been president for just two months. And it's all about Russia and all of these allegations that are floating. Remember, Michael Flynn has been fired. And uh, then the dossier was became news, became public on January the 10th. So um, the, the witnesses, James Comey and Michael Rogers, who was the head of the uh, NSA, and they wouldn't answer any questions about it. When in fact, at that very moment, March of t- 2017, FBI investigators were finding out all the stuff I've been telling you that the dossier was complete BS. And there was Schiff reading from it to Comey. And Comey, whose agents were finding out that it was all BS, is sitting there saying he can't comment on it. So it all just gets circulated more and more. And And the people who should be most cautious about this, the members of the House Intelligence Committee, were spreading this disinformation left and right. It was Schiff, it was Joaquin Castro, um, Jackie uh, Spear, um, gosh, another couple of, of people. These are Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee. So it was just shameful what was going on. Um, and it was all being lapped up by the press. And I don't, I mean, some of the people in the press, you deserve a lot of blame. But others, you know, I mean, the, look, the fact that the FBI was investigating this was, was news. The sure. FBI was going to, they hired Christopher Steele the FBI. in the fall of 2016. Right. He was he was he was somebody working for one campaign on opposition research against the other campaign, yeah. the Trump campaign, and the FBI hired him to continue that oppo research for the U.S. government in the middle of a campaign. Yeah. I mean that's that that's just a stunning yeah. thing that happened. Yeah. So is Durham done? I don't think so, but I don't really know. Okay. Um, I mean, I've had people telling me, you know, don't count Durham out. All these people are counting yeah. him out, but. Yeah. Don't count Durham out. And what they're saying is not that the that the orange jumpsuits are coming, but they're saying he's finding out a lot of stuff, and that's incredibly valuable. What about this guy Sullivan? Jake Sullivan, you mean? Yeah. The National Security Advisor. Yep. Yep. Well, he was he was definitely involved in this, and he appears to be foreign policy. Was he called foreign policy advisor yep. in the uh, Danchenko um, uh, indictment? In, so he was, he in was the State Department then, right? Let's see here. Yeah, he was, as a matter of fact. Um, so he he was definitely a part of this and knew some of this was going on. Um, have to remember that Steele, first of all, Steele had actually worked with the Justice Department in the past. I forget what year it was. You know, there was this big scandal in international soccer. Um and uh, the FBI had been part of the investigation of it, and Steele had been had worked for them for that, and so they thought of him as legitimate. And so he used those contacts to try to plant dossier allegations, you know, with with the FBI, to, in the State Department, and elsewhere. Uh, and uh, obviously, his big goal was to get it in the press before the twenty. 16 election. The the goal was was not to bring President Trump down. It was to defeat Donald Trump as in the election. Um, and so he was he was telling a lot of people um, 
in the Democratic administration, as many as he could, trying to get this somehow out. Well, uh, this was, uh, I remember people saying at the time, this is the worst, one of the worst things ever done by the government, the FBI, Mm -hmm. and one of the worst, biggest, nastiest, dirty tricks ever played in American politics. Both true. You know, I would add one more. Oh, it definitely is. I would add one more thing um, that in, in, in the 2016 campaign, presidential campaign, both candidates were under FBI investigation. Now, you may think, well, gee, those are pretty squirrely candidates. Uh, or maybe the fact that maybe the FBI has been going too far. Um, they certainly went way too far in the uh, uh, in the Trump investigation. And you could argue that they should not have been playing a role in the Clinton email investigation um, at that time. I mean, the idea that – I mean, both parties have picked their candidates and – the FBI has them both under investigation. That's not a good a good thing. Um, right. And uh, the, the the performance of the FBI under James Comey it's just it's really he gets the blame for all this. He's he's not not the only person, but he really 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 gets the blame for this. But what you just said, in some ways, counters what people say, which is that the FBI was extremely politicized against Trump. But you're saying investigations into both. So. <sighs> Well, you know, I mean, look, they they investigated Clinton, and they clearly wanted to get her off. Uh, I think it was the July Fourth weekend of twenty was it twenty sixteen? Yeah, I guess it was. Um, where they come out, where Comey comes out and does this long thing, and he, he it was completely improper. Uh, where he said all the stuff she did wrong, and then they said we're not going to indict her. Um, if you're not going to indict her, just don't indict her. But um, press conference comes out and makes this long statement. Yeah. Was, I mean, Comey was just completely out of control. Um, and then, and then we find out that they had they had been planning her exoneration for quite a long time before they ever interviewed her <clears throat> or saw all the evidence. Um, but then Comey comes out, and this was really terrible. I think it was 11 days before the election. Comes out and, and sends an, a letter to Congress saying that the email investigation has been reopened. You know, giving everybody the thought that wow, there must be some new evidence, and there had to do with the Anthony Winter laptop, actually, but um, uh, but there wasn't. And then um, then they tried to pull it all back later. James Comey was out of control, and he was a malign force in uh, U.S. politics and government during that period. Malign force toward both both candidates. Yeah, all the Clinton people hated him. I mean, there was talk about, you know, she won that they should get rid of James Comey. Uh, I mean, but, that they hated her. But the sins. They hated him, yeah. But the sins against Trump were much greater. Well, they were greater because he became president and then they continued. Continued, right. Um, right. And so, I mean, obviously Trump won the election, um, but then the effort to. Um, to bring him down just increased the whole idea of the um, of the Justice Department using the pretext of a Logan Act violation to investigate Michael Flynn. Yeah, sure. Was outrageous. Um, the whole Flynn story was pretty outrageous. Uh, the dossier um, was outrageous. The briefing that I mentioned on January sixth, twenty seventeen, probably set the stage for the firing of Trump in May. I think May seventeenth of that year. Uh, because Trump could clearly, I mean, he, his first meeting with Comey, and Comey says, words to the effect, he didn't say it this way, but, you know, we know about you and those prostitutes in the Moscow hotel room. Um, so it, Comey knew. He specifically said that he was worried that Trump was, was going to think that Comey was pulling a J. Edgar Hoover on him. And the reason Comey worried about that was that he was pulling a J. Edgar Hoover on him. And Trump knew it just right as it as it happened. So a really malign force uh, that extended past the election um, all through the first couple of years of the Trump administration. You notice the questions I asked you, they were for the benefit of the audience, but also the benefit of me needed to be reminded of this. Is this gone? Is this gone from the memory of the American people? This horrendous... Well, I mean, people move on. Look, people move on. Oh. And, and uh, you know, on... On another occasion, we'll be talking about what what the Biden administration is doing, and that's, I mean, that's just life. That's the the way it goes. But it is also true that sometimes we don't find out until years afterward what really happened. Yeah, and it's worth doing that too to revise our understanding of events in light of 
newly reveal information. Tell me, tell me why I shouldn't be, but I'm a little worried about that. And people say, well, history will be the judge, but people who write history, yeah, you know, listen, you should be, you should be worried about it. And the people uh, who write history are, you know, certainly, you know, on the left for the most part. Oh, absolutely. So, so you, sh- you should be worried about it, but, um, but there's enough ways to try to find information. The the Durham report has been good. I wrote my book, which has a lot of this, almost all of it, as a matter of fact, uh, well before Durham. Um, and you can read that book, and I think it would you you would know what happened yeah. in the Trump Russia right. investigation, and leading up to the the Mueller report, and then sort of morphing into the Trump Ukraine matter in the first impeachment. Yeah, and people should read your book. Is it sold I think to- they should too. Actually, yeah. You know, I thought about it at the time. I thought of it. You know, it's kind of a history. This is yeah, no, it's great. A little more than the, a little more than the first draft, and no, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, so it's 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 important to do that. Is it has it sold a million copies? I wish it had. It hasn't. I wish it had. It hasn't. No. But I mean, you know, this, little, is, uh, this is the problem. Little signs, little dagger signs they have next on the, the New York Times book review where they say, yeah. you know, indicates bulk sales. Yeah. I need somebody to buy a million copies. Yeah, I you got know? you. And, and they can put the little bulk sale dagger next to it. No, I know. Have lots no. and lots of money. Well, you're great to do it, <laughs> and you're great to write all this down, and it will be discovered uh, by some people in the future, that's for sure. Let's talk about the present and the Democrats. Do they still think, I just have one question, it's 2020, and they can just run and win and run against Trump, A, B, did they not notice what happened in Virginia and New Jersey? This didn't compute? Yeah. Or are they so ideological, as a friend of mine said, ideology is a straitjacket, that they can't, they really don't comprehend that. They really do believe they lost because they didn't get enough of the Democrat agenda out. Yeah, or they, they had a communications problem. Isn't, yeah. isn't that what the losing side always tells itself? Do they believe that, it? Do they believe that? I don't know. I, I really, I, I say I don't know. Obviously, uh, Joe Biden's approval ratings have been going down. I didn't check before we talked, but I think he's underwater by about 8 or 9% in the real clear politics average. The polls, disapproval above 50%. There was an NBC poll that came out fairly recently uh, asking which party do you trust more to handle this or that uh, issue, uh, which would do a better job. Uh, there was an 18-point advantage for Republicans on the economy, a uh, 24% uh, advantage on the issue of uh, controlling inflation, national security, a 21-point GOP advantage, border security, GOP advantage, 27 points, crime on dealing with crime, 22-point advantage. So clearly, people are... Uh, uh, concerned about the Democrats and their ability to handle um, the issues that are facing the country today. And, and, um, and do they know that and realize they have to change course, or do they not know that and believe they have to double down? Well, I think that the Virginia results were an indication that, that they do, they're open to the idea of changing course. And I think what, what happened was, um, what about, Biden got elected for two things. Let me interrupt you a second. Yeah. What yeah. about New Jersey? I mean, you're much better on this than I am. I never heard of this guy until two days before. <laughs> Jack, I still don't know his name. Uh, Cittarelli, I think. Cittarelli. I never heard of the guy. No one ever said anything about looking at New Did you say look at New Jersey? I did not. I, I, I was on his mailing list. I got his stuff every day. Okay. Um, okay. But... Uh, did anybody, yeah, did anybody see that coming? Any of our yeah, pundits? Yeah, a couple of people. You know, I should I should know them by name to give them some credit, but a couple of people did say as as the election was approaching, keep your eye on this. It could be closer than you think. I mean, I um, think that was in some ways a bigger bigger earth, yeah, was, earth shaking was, in Virginia. It was pretty big. Yeah. So Biden gets elected for two reasons: to handle coronavirus and to not be Trump. And um, his his advantage on handling coronavirus began to um, decline when the Delta variant kicked in. And uh, when the vaccine mandates, uh, when his various policies began to <clears throat> kick in and people people began to realize that he didn't really have a plan beyond what was in the 2020 election, which is, well, everybody uh, social distance and uh, wear a mask. And then when the vaccine came out, courtesy of President Trump, by the way, um, when the vaccine came out, it was get your vaccine. And uh, 
clearly he didn't seem to know what was going on. Second thing, uh, inflation became a big problem. In early February, literally two weeks into the Obama administration, Larry Summers, the, um, the Democrat, former Treasury Secretary, Harvard economist, big deal in the Democratic world, warns that, you know, all of this stimulus spend is so big that it could set off inflation. Uh, it's bigger than what is needed for the problem now. So um, the Biden White House just trashes Summers. Obama administration, you meant the Biden administration, okay. The Biden, Biden right. White House just trashes Summers. Right. It says he's wrong, inflation's no, just, not a problem. Just to come back, to February of, of the Biden administration, this occurred. Go ahead. 2021, right. this year. Um, inflation, transitory, not a problem. And it's not caused by these big spending bills. Remember, the Congress had passed a $900 billion COVID relief bill in December. And then um, Biden wanted to pass the American Recovery Act, a $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill in March. It wasn't needed. It was a lot of Democratic priorities, like a refundable tax credit for, for children, but it wasn't needed. It was, and it began to overheat the economy and spur inflation. And then on top of that, the um, both sides in Congress agreed to a bipartisan infrastructure bill at $1.1 trillion. That's now going to be signed on Monday. Um, and now Democrats are arguing amongst themselves whether to pass a $3.5 trillion or a $1.75 trillion or some sort of trillion-dollar um, social spending bill. And it's clear that all this money is spurring inflation, which we just saw was 6.2% higher in October. Prices 6.2% higher in October than they had been the previous October. So there's no doubt that this is causing a problem. And the only thing the White House can think to do is, is to argue that this inflation, which is being caused by their giant spending bill, is the reason that they we should pass another giant spending bill. I mean, that's exactly what uh, the White House has done. Biden's done it. Ron Klain, the chief of staff, has done it. They can All they can think of is to double down. So the Democrats in Washington dumb? Is this are just devoting, dumb? It's, it's ideological. Yeah, Democrats it in Washington are devoting all of their time, and by all I mean all of their time, to arguing how wrong they should be. Should be should we be $1.75 trillion wrong? Should we be, we be $3.5 trillion wrong? I mean, how wrong should we be? Um, and it's crazy, but they want to do what they want to do. I mean, remember in 20, 2009, 2010, the Obamacare debate, people were screaming about jobs. This was obviously in the Great Recession. John Boehner uh, was saying, you know, Mr. President, where are the jobs? Where are the jobs? And they just didn't care. They wanted to pass national health care. It was their opportunity. They had 60 votes for about a minute and a half in the Senate, and they were going to do it. And so they did it. And they, you know, they took a beating at the polls in 2010, but they did it. So now they want to pass all this. They want to get, they want to reestablish a dole. I think we may have talked about that in the past, where people just receive money from the government all the time for not working, not, not doing anything, just getting money from the government. Um, they want to get that in place. And, okay, it's going to make things worse now. Fine. People don't want it? Fine. We're going to do it. And so Democrats are in a position. People get this way. They're so mad. They've got such a head of steam. They're just going to do what they want to do. Uh, they're not going to do it, though, right? Mansion's going to stop or Cinema and Mansion? Well, Cinema and Mansion I think that, and... I, you know, I think the inflation news, the October to October inflation and the fact that um, if you look at the components of the increase in prices, uh, fuel energy has gotten to be a much bigger component of it than it was several months ago, uh, which does not bode well for the heating oil season, wintertime. Uh, could see a lot more of this. Um, the economy is making the case against passing this giant Democratic bill. And Manchin seems to be – I mean, he's, he clearly – would like to just put it off to next year, which means it isn't going to happen because it's an election year next year. Um, so I think Manchin would clearly like to put it off, and he he may get to do it. I don't know. Will he have company apart from Republicans? Well, any other Democrats? Um, possibly Senema. 
but that's all they need. Yeah, you only need a couple, couple of Democrats. Yeah, this is you know I've 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 been a brokered record on this. The the big problem for Democrats, the one fundamental problem for Democrats, is they don't have a majority of votes in the Senate. And you know if they had fifty three votes in the Senate, and they had a couple of people who weren't on board, they could get this done. Fifty three votes would be known as a majority. But the Senate is 50-50. They have to rely on the vice president to break a tie. But first, they have to get to a tie. And um, that's their big problem. They want to do this uh, They want to do this New Deal style or Great Society-sized spending. Uh, but they don't have New Deal or Great Society-sized Democratic majorities. I mean, in one year – I'm just going on here. Oh, in one year in the 30s, I think it was the, after the election of 1936 – there are 96 seats in the Senate, right? No, no Alaska or, or Hawaii at that point. 96 seats. I believe Democrats had 76 plus an additional four who called themselves like independents who were really Democrats. They had 80 seats, and there were literally 16 Republicans in the U.S. Senate. Yeah. You know, in the middle of the New Deal. And so these are huge majorities. And even if you say, well, the Democrats are divided, the Southerners and all that stuff, um, I mean, these are huge majorities for Roosevelt to get what he wants to get done. And the idea that you could do anything resembling that in a 50-50 Senate is insane. And that's what Democrats are trying to do. Um, Biden, there's talk about Biden, you know, will he run again? I don't think he'll finish the term. Uh, Just mental capacity, um, ability to stand up in public and talk. I mean, if you get to be 78 and you have these problems, they don't get better. You get worse. Um, is there any move going on? I wouldn't ask you what's going to happen unless you have a view, but is there any move going on to replace him? And if they replace him, do they want to replace him with Kamala? I think it's a back of the mind, a back of the mind situation. Uh, I listen, I agree that he's clearly slowed down. I think Republicans fooled themselves uh, during the campaign and thinking he had dementia or something yeah. and that at the first debate he wouldn't even know where he was even though he had been in 11 democratic debates yeah, before that yeah. and you could watch them and see yeah he was okay you can see well you know he's kind of slow he, yeah, he's he okay. not the best but he doesn't have dementia of course he can he can function just fine now he strikes me as pretty slow now um but he could certainly make it through a presidential term. Uh, that said, it could all change tomorrow, but, he, but it could for any of us. The thing is, if he doesn't run for a second term, and I kind of don't – I kind of expect him to finish the first term and not run for a second term, that sets off incredible disarray inside the Democratic Party because Kamala Harris is not a good candidate. She is not well-liked. Um, she in no way would – win the nomination. But on the other hand, she's the sitting vice president. She's also the first woman of color to be the vice president. And um, I think there would be a ferocious debate. I heard from a Democrat who said um, there's talk about getting her to resign, replacing her with a plausible Democrat. I don't know who that is, but, you know. that's. I have to say that sounds absolutely insane to me. Yeah. Well, she may be having a miserable time if she looks at her approval ratings. Actually, have you noticed she's been, she's been on this long visit to France yeah. and staying with her husband in, in Paris? I think they're having just a great Paris yeah, vacation. a good time, yeah. They're having a good time. <laughs> but, I mean, it's point. ridiculous. She may realize she's ridiculous. Step down. They put in um, Seth Moulton. I don't know. You know, who's the future of the Democrat Party? I have no idea. Do you have, um, a, do you have an idea? I just I just think this is this is a nutty idea. Okay, happen. all right, I'll, I'll give it, it up. It just does not happen. Because uh, I mean, if they both it, resign, Nancy Pelosi becomes president, right? <laughs> She's 81 years old. But, I mean, isn't that true, though, the succession? <laughs> yes, she is. All right, well, this is, this is just horrible. This is just, from my perspective, this is just horrible. Okay. Well, look, she's the Speaker of the House. The, the idea, the idea of the Vice President would just resign. No, they ask her to resign. They ask her to resign. Figure it out. Let her get her Senate seat back. Go back to doing what you were doing. You were better at it. Well, you can't just go to, to the state of California and say, oh, I want my Senate seat back. No, but they can. It doesn't work that way either. No, no. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's go to the other side. Um, Trump. Now, um, our our friend Glenn Youngkin, who won in Virginia, handled the issue and the person of Donald Trump very deftly, did he not? 
He did. Absolutely. There's that. And Trump never came to visit, though I had all sorts of emails coming him out if you got him. Trump's going in to visit night yeah. before the campaign. They're going to have, right. what's her name from the uh, AFT, you know, the Democrats. Randy Weingarten. Randy Weingarten. And, and the Republicans yeah. are going to bring in Trump. Trump never came. <laughs> Nevertheless, Trump supporters supported Yunkin, and Trump supported Yunkin. How did he do that? Yeah. How did he do it? Yeah. Skillfully. Skillfully. Okay. Um, well... How do you not invite Trump and keep him happy or happy enough? Well, I think the question is the question is why did Trump agree to do this? I mean, he clearly agreed to not come to Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is, I believe, a realization that he would not have helped okay. the cause okay. in Virginia. All right, self knowledge um, on his part. Okay. Well, it's it's kind of extraordinary, you know, because I mean, he 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 did a lot of damage in Georgia. With yeah. two Senate seats. He knows. Does he know um, that? I don't know. Okay. By going down there and, um, you know, on the one hand, urging people to vote, because he did do that. And on the other hand, telling them it was all going to be crooked. And yeah, they're yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was, I mean, he's done just enormous damage. And um, so the question is, you know, what's going to happen in next year? And I don't think he's going to run. I, I don't know. I don't think he's going to run. You heard it from me first. And tell me. I would like to hear your your theory on this. I, I think I'm interested in this. Well, one, I think what you said is perhaps some self knowledge is breaking through that he's mm-hmm. that he that he wouldn't have been helpful. Uh, people are getting the guts now to stand up and say something. You saw what Chris Christie did the other day. Hey, I you know, I well, I left office, and then I was ran again, and I right. was reelected, and Trump wasn't. And I think you know the big ego of the president, and I supported the president, is such that. The blow of not getting elected was very serious to him. Of course, he thinks the election was stolen, and apparently he still talks to people about that and wants them to highlight it. I don't know if it was or wasn't, but I think it's probably time to give it up. I don't think he could bear to lose again. Mm-hmm. And if that prospect dawned on him, that might that might not. The other thing is it, we got a pretty good bench here. We got some really attractive people, seems to me. Mm-hmm. Well, now, do you believe? Let's say Trump um, just sort of drags this out, hold, yeah. keeps keeps the prospect of his candidacy alive. I think they didn't he say time. that he was going to wait, or could, could or people around him say, he was "Well, wait, wait till, till the wait till the midterms." Midterms, yeah, yeah wait okay. till the midterms. Okay, okay. But let's say so. Let's say he does this at a time when you know the people who want to make a serious run for the Republican nomination need to be kind of uh-huh. openly doing it. Uh-huh. Um. Do they need to go ahead? So what does Ron DeSantis do? Does he try to sort of, you know, not offend Trump's delicate sensibilities? Well, I know he um, said, and I know he said, if Trump runs, I won't. But I, that can change. No, I don't think he's come out and publicly said that. Okay. Um, okay. There's been reports that he said it okay. kind of privately. Okay. Um, I know Nikki Haley has said that. but um, Nikki Haley has said that? Yeah, she has said that. Yeah, but that but don't you think, first of all, don't you? Wouldn't you agree, Doctor Bennett, that uh, the Republican Party needs a robust multi-candidate primary um, campaign in twenty twenty four? Absolutely. Okay. And there it is: the um, Santas and Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and Mike Pompeo. You know, Cotton Pompeo. Tom yep. Cotton. Absolutely. There's there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Pretty good. And, pretty good lineup, really. Well, to what degree? If if this is beginning to gel, to what degree? Could Trump clear the field by making the definitive announcement that he's running? I don't think he could anymore. Interesting. That's what I said. Um, yeah, that's what I. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Um, but I, you know, I, I believe that the the party does need to have a robust multi candidate, uh, you know, primary. Parenthetical. You need to go, and I need to let you go. You said one thirty, but yeah. Okay, we'll take. Claude will take that up. But the last question. I've seen these polls. Do you want, you know, would you, would you support Trump in 24? Yes, yep. yes, yes, large numbers. Yes. But I want to see a secret ballot at CPAC or any of the conservative meetings where they say, secret ballot, do you want Trump to run? It's <clears throat> mm-hmm. going to be a lot smaller number. Probably so. And, there, and there's one other thing I should mention, because I made such a big deal of it with Biden. But um, Trump will be 78 Yeah, uh, when, if he took office again. And I just said over and over and over that Biden is too old to be president. Yeah. 
taking office at 78. Yeah. And so I, I, I think Biden is too old to take office at 78. He's too old to be president right now. And I think Trump would be too old to take president, take office at 78 as well. Uh, clearly, if he had been reelected, he would have served until he was 78 and yeah. then leave yeah. office. Yeah. But he wouldn't be beginning a four year yeah. term to serve until he was 82. Fair point. So um, I'm uncomfortable about that with Biden. And I would be uncomfortable about that with Trump. And I think voters should consider that. Well, wait and see. But these were two interesting events, right, in terms of Trump's candidacy. One, not bringing him in, but Youngkin and Chris Christie, you know, saying, well, you know, I got reelected. He didn't. Well, the Christie thing, I mean, there's so much history um, in there that um, I think a number of Republicans thought that, you know, maybe there would be a couple of protest candidates who would stay in if Trump uh, ran. But I look more, uh, you know, Christie, who I thought had a lot of um, potential as a presidential candidate, did not really Mm -hmm. set the the world on fire. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I I don't know if he would be able to mount any sort of serious challenge or not. I do have to look at DeSantis a lot yep. and see what he plans to do. Apparently Tim Scott's raking in money, lots of money. Yeah, yeah. Really popular now. Great um, great character, great charismatic figure. I mean, I've been with him yeah. privately and he's very impressive. So So I mean, so these people have some decisions to make. Yes, they do. The um the DeSantis's, the Pompeos, the Scotts, the, you know, They've got some decisions to make about, you know, whether they should stand up to Trump if Trump tries to scare them out of the race. And some of that might be determined by their age. What is the status? He's in his 40s, right? So oh, yeah. four more years is not going right. to uh, Yeah, but, you know, the you gotta, a problem. carpe diem, you seize your moment. It's a, well, he's, he's that's shi- exactly right. He is shining right now. Shining days. That's what Barack Obama did. As right? Yates says uh, he was in his shining days. He's in his shining days. Yeah, because people people were telling Obama, who was just only elected yeah, in two thousand four, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, you need to get a term or two uh, under your belt, and uh, then you can run for president. And uh, he said, "No, uh, I, I think it. I'm going to do it right now." I got it. I feel it. I got it. And he got it. There you go. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Byron right. York. Thank you very very much. Thank you, Bill. Enjoyed it. Always splendid. Bye bye. And that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. Like me, please, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like me. Right. Well, again, yeah. well, your page. Like me. I just sound like a four-year-old. <laughs> like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We will catch up next week.